الجزيرة بودكاست Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. The majority. This was from the day 50 years ago that the United States gained the nationwide right to abortion, not through law, but a court decision. The anti-abortion laws of 46 states were rendered unconstitutional. In 1973, the name of the case didn't even make this evening news report, but Roe versus Wade became the most divisive court decision in a generation. I think that January 22nd, 1973 would be an historic day. Now, it's the day Roe was overturned that's also historic. June 24th, 2022. Probably the best day of American history in my lifetime. Tens of millions of Americans now live in states where abortion is banned. Today, we're taking a look at the biggest, Texas, the ground zero of abortion in the US. I'm Halima Hayadeen, and this is The Take. It was in Texas that the woman known as Jane Roe filed her lawsuit against the state. It all started in Dallas with a pregnant woman who was looking for an abortion. Her real name was Norma McCorvey. Pregnant with her third child and unable to afford travel to a state where abortion was legal. Today, U.S. abortion access is determined by each individual state. Some states have had new wins for abortion access, including enshrining it in some state constitutions. But in Texas, the victories have meant some of the most restrictive abortion bans in the U.S. There's a near total ban on abortion here, even in cases of rape and incest. This Texas law actually encourages private citizens to sue anybody who provides or helps a woman get one of these now banned abortions. And if they win one of those lawsuits, they're entitled to at least $10,000. Lots of people in Texas told me I was crazy, that it's never going to be illegal here, that I would always have a job here. And I don't. Dr. Jessica Rubino lives in Austin, the state capital. I'm a board-certified family medicine physician, and I've, over the last few years, come to specialize in sexual and reproductive health care, specifically abortion care. Al Jazeera followed Dr. Rubino for a documentary this summer, The End of Roe, Living Without Abortion Rights. I was just getting ready to walk out the door and I got the text from my office manager just said row overturned. I came into the clinic and it was so quiet. We saw you in the immediate aftermath in the film you were in. Can you just think back to that moment? What was going through your head at the time when you learned that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned? The actual day when it actually became like, okay, you no longer have this protection anymore. The very first thing was, I have a patient who needs an abortion, and I was planning on doing her abortion this morning, and now I need to go and make sure that she has somewhere to go. Yeah. And it was initially, there was all this back and forth that, okay, you can move forward actually and still do abortions because you've basically got 30 days until this is officially illegal. Mm. 
So we pause for a minute, but then we're like, okay, we should be able to tread forward. But within, and they, you know, they captured this, I think, during the film. It was within, I don't know, a day or hours, essentially, the state of Texas said, we plan to prosecute you starting now. In the film, you can see how rapidly the situation was changing. I have to place you on hold. Give me one second. Awesome Health Center, how can I help you? Okay, give me one second. I have to place on hold. Amin Wahid, the producer, was there watching it play out. The staff were very warm, but they were very hesitant to be on camera, even though they had surgical masks on. They didn't want to be criminalized. And then obviously, from the point of view of the patients, it was terrifying because they also didn't want to be criminalized. And it's a, a very emotionally, physically intense time in their life. Once I'm about to be 19, I ain't trying to start over. There's no way I, I feel like I could comfortably bring a human being into this world. I'm not opposed to it, you know? It's just, I'm not ready, and I feel like it's my choice to be ready. There's a lot of emotions, and then the staff themselves were trying to really deal with their own emotions. It was very much a roller coaster. It was like things were changing hour by hour. Dr. Rubino said for her, it was awful. That's me doing the wrong thing. That's me not doing what I know to be right. We had a full waiting room full of patients. And my staff had to be the ones to get up to the glass, the bulletproof glass, and tell them through the bulletproof glass, I'm sorry, actually, we can't do your abortion today. Yeah, not in the state of Texas, like, at all. We'll call you tomorrow, maybe we can. It was complete torture, you know? And I had the really hard decision of, can you do what you think is right without endangering your staff, without endangering the patients? We were being threatened with fines and then jail time. I felt like if I had just been in some sort of a vacuum, I could have just kept going. I know what's right. I know the right thing to do is to do their abortions, but I, I couldn't do it. But that said, you would be prosecuted. You could face life in jail for providing an abortion. And in the film, we see you trying to talk to staff. I mean, that must have felt like an enormous defeat, mustn't it? Yeah, I honestly felt, and I still do, and I, I struggle to deal with it, but I feel like I let patients down. You know, in that film, when I say, we have to stop, you know, we can't go to jail. But to me, I know it's so much more than that. Yeah. I know how incredibly important those abortions are to each one of those patients. So I was saying words that I physically, emotionally just didn't believe in. And none of it sat right. I mean, none of it has sat right. From a patient's perspective, when they walk out of a clinic or walk out of their doctor's room, what happens next? If you're carrying an unwanted pregnancy in Texas, what do you do? We never even really knew legally, like, what information we could provide. That guidance isn't really there for us. So I cannot tell you that information over the phone. Okay, cool. Um, we basically had to tell people, like, you're going to have to find it on your own. And people would leave the clinic and get on Google. And you literally Google, where do I get an abortion? And you're going to have to find a state that you can get to and try to get one within a certain window of time. 
But many people can't afford to leave their state to get an abortion or for medical reasons. It creates dangerous choices, both for patients and for doctors. I had a patient right after Roe v. Wade was overturned who has a kidney failure, undergoes dialysis multiple times a week, and unintentionally got pregnant. And for her, I mean, that's essentially a death sentence. That's a very precarious situation to carry a pregnancy while in kidney failure. And the absolute wrong thing was to tell her to go and get an abortion at another state. That is such an unethical situation. Yeah, I can't participate in that kind of care, even though it means on the flip side, I'm, I feel I'm abandoning people. I'm leaving people behind. Last month, I had to leave the clinic. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just decided I can't be a part of unethical care anymore. Before she left the clinic, Dr. Rubino had also seen people in Texas turning to their own methods to try to abort their pregnancies. Most patients that I worked with in the few weeks after, in the couple months after, would have various things. Some people, it was physical things they would do to their body. Um, like I had a patient who told me that she had her boyfriend punch her in the stomach repeatedly. Oh my God. So when she came in to see me, she, that was part of her exam. She asked me to look and make sure she hadn't been injured in any other way. I tried so hard with every patient, like, please don't do something out of desperation. You know, keep asking people for help. Ask for what you need. Keep trying to get someone to help you because there's people with knowledge. I mean, yes, that's that's what we've been dealing with for the last few months. Despite everything, many Texans who want abortions are still managing to get them. After the break, we look at how and how that's the front line for the next battle. On this week's episode of Essential Middle East Podcast, find out what the most right-wing government in Israel's history is doing in the Holy Land these days. To understand the future of abortion in Texas, we heard from reporter Mary Tuma. She says activists fighting to stop abortion don't believe their work is over. We have the law that we want, and now we have to make sure we have the tools for enforcement. That includes John Siegel, president of Texas Right to Life, the state's largest anti-abortion organization. This is from an interview from July. Texas is not abortion-free yet. We have to fully enforce our law, and we're looking at a lot of policies to do that. He was actually concerned that people would think that with Roe overturned, they have accomplished their mission. And that's just not the case, he says. You know, there's still a lot of work to be done in the anti-abortion movement here in Texas. Some of that work will be unveiled in Texas's legislative session, which is dominated by Republicans. Possible new laws include further penalizing out-of-state travel for abortions, as well as targeting people who help provide access to abortion medication. It's illegal in Texas, but it's widely used and hard to track. 
The Guttmacher Institute estimates more than half of all abortions in the United States are now done using medication, exceeding procedural abortions as of 2020. Virtually prescribing abortion pills and supporting a woman through the procedure is now prohibited in 19 states. Republican lawmakers have discussed blocking online websites that help Texans receive abortion medication. Texas patients are, are technically not allowed, right, to receive abortion medication via mail. However, that law has been a bit difficult to enforce. So right-wing lawmakers are certainly going to set their sights on that. It's not just legislators looking at medication abortion. It's also the courts, including a lawsuit targeting the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. There is a federal suit filed by a conservative legal organization that actually helped bring down Roe v. Wade that is trying to get the FDA to revoke approval of one of the two drugs that induce abortion care. I asked Dr. Rubino what the impact of a victory in that case would mean for doctors. You know, just aside from it being wrong to, to go after this medication that's incredibly safe, has been proven over a long period of time to be really safe, does not cause harm to people the way that they're claiming. So setting that aside, another problem is we actually use that quite a lot these days. I use it, I used it specifically with people who had a fetal demise. So the fetus has stopped growing, there's no more heartbeat, but they haven't started the process of a miscarriage yet. She says that's when doctors use mifepristone. And that makes that process so much smoother. And it is, again, like I said, their claim is that it's unsafe and it, that there's no other therapeutic benefit for it because they only focus on the pregnancy. That's their problem. They cannot see the person that is holding that pregnancy. Anti-abortion activists will say that there are options there. You know, there's centers that can help support you, I think crisis pregnancy centers. Can you just explain what they are? So a crisis pregnancy center is a small clinic. Sometimes it's actually literally in a van, like a mobile van. They will often park next to um, a legitimate sexual reproductive health care clinic, and they will offer free what they say are medical services. Pregnancy resource centers around this country with open doors ready to help these women. And women have options. That's what we want women to know. You know, pro-choicers, they say, we want to give women a choice. When really, they give women the choice of abortion. They give women the choice to kill their child and harm them. And we tell women, you can keep your baby and we'll help you. These are not considered healthcare facilities. They have someone there that will do free ultrasounds. They'll do the ultrasound. They will explain to them like anatomy of the fetus and things like that. They'll show videos. They'll do the heartbeat listening. They'll give like resources if the patient wants them like diapers. And some patients find they get some benefit out of it because they're in a desperate situation. They need a free ultrasound. They want those resources and they want to continue their pregnancy. The problem is, is with all of that care, you get a big dose of it's all about God. We're going to talk about your baby. We're not talking about your fetus. It's about your baby and not about you. They will lie to them about abortions. So I've had patients come to me after traumatized. Like they told me there's like 
25% chance I'm going to die here today, but I still need my abortion. Okay. No, that's so far from the truth. Okay. Is that not illegal? Are they allowed? Well, right. Are they allowed to do that? (laughs) I know. If they were medical professionals, no. But somehow they are funded. Our legislature, the Texas state government, funds them to the tune of millions of dollars a year. They're all over the state. Mm -hmm. They name themselves very close to the names of our abortion clinics. That's mad. Sorry. Yeah. That's that's it. No, it is. And imagine being a patient in the state. Imagine being someone who isn't at all politically active. You don't even know. I mean, I had patients who didn't even know it was illegal. And, you know, there's some reason there's this impression that abortion doctors only talk to people about having the abortion as opposed to talking to someone through their choice. One of the things I'm good at is to help them reach their decision. Nothing to do with me, with unbiased information. And so some people, after meeting with me, say, you know what? No, I was thinking I want an abortion because I drank a couple drinks last night. And then we talk and I say, okay, actually, that doesn't really have the impact that I think you might think it has. And then sometimes they realize, well, no, I don't want an abortion. Okay, now they've made their, their informed choice. So what happens now? Dr. Rubino, you're not providing abortions now. You've left your job at the clinic. What, what's next for you? Well, I have decided that I need to move and go somewhere where I can do abortions. And um, I've decided to move to London. Oh, wow. There is work to be done there. I also feel like I need to get some space from the United States, if I'm being honest. Mm. I can't see myself moving to another state and waiting for it to become illegal there. I think we are headed for it abortions being illegal nationally. And I think that we would be naive to think they're not trying for that, right? They are, so far, they are winning their playbook. Right. Can you just explain why you made the decision not to travel to one of those states who are are actually trying to enshrine the right to an abortion as part of their state constitutions? Why you just wanted to leave the, the US completely? I genuinely feel that if I move to another state, let's say I go to Colorado and I open a clinic there, that even if it's enshrined within the constitution of that state, that is still something that those people decided is enshrined and those people can change and those people can then change that. If all it takes is a swinging of who gets voted in in the political parties, if it's really left to that, And it isn't about the science anymore. And it isn't even about legitimate laws, right? Like here in Texas, our attorney general is saying, the lawyer of the state is saying, I'm ignoring your temporary restraining order. If you're not dealing with honest actors, what makes me think they would be honest there? Unfortunately, this idea that abortion should even be a political issue at all, that whole idea seems to be spreading even to the UK. And so... I feel like I need to be a strong voice of warning anywhere I go. Let me tell you exactly what I've been through. You can't let it get to this. Yeah, perhaps, you know, what's happening in the United States is maybe turning into something of a wake-up call for for others around the world. Just as a final question, as you just said, the last six months must have given you a perspective on the law, what with everything that's happened. What do you think the legacy of Roe versus Wade will be at the end? 
Unfortunately, I think it's going to be that it was never really enough and it didn't do, maybe never really did what we thought it did. You know, I think there's a lot of us that think of Roe v. Wade as like, it saved everything and we had all these freedoms and then now they're gone. But during that time, even during Roe v. Wade, for a lot of people in our society and because of the way the American society is, it's mostly people of color. For those people, because of all the rules and restrictions, it was already inaccessible for a vast majority of our population. We need something completely different. You know, a, a society has to have something that's way more proactive in protecting the rights of every single person, including people with uteruses as their own bodily autonomy. Without these proactive protections, there's always someone left behind. There was always someone left behind, even during Roe v. Wade. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Khaled Sultan and Alexandra Locke, with Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Amy Walters, Ashish Mahotra, Nagin Oliay, and me, Hala Mahiyadeen. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Elmalek and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back on Friday.